Good on you, Matt. How good are those words? The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive, never to die again. All authority in heaven and earth is his. And he is with us to the very end of the age. Friends, we have such good reason for hope. No matter the time that we find ourselves in, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Now, I feel like that could be it. Amen. Uh, the hope of the gospel is so good. We've, we've got much more to look at this morning. Before we dive in, let me add one more piece of family news for your prayers. Uh, the Pinsack family, many of you will know them, uh, know the kids of the Pinsack family. Uh, they've had a significant moment these last couple of weeks where Dean has been diagnosed with a very serious brain cancer. And so as you can imagine, that's huge for them. And so please keep them in your prayers and we will bring you more information in the coming weeks. But for now, let's dive right into a new series. It's exciting to be starting a new series. I know many of you are just excited by the artwork, as has been pointed out. It's beautiful. Um, some are even suggesting that we make merch from it, some t-shirts, some hats. And I think it's actually very fitting that we have such beautiful artwork for this book, because this book of Ruth is such a beautiful piece of storytelling. Now, it's a very short story, only four chapters. So if you haven't sat down to read it in one sitting, do that. You've got Isaiah 40 to read this afternoon. Go read Ruth in one sitting. It'll take you 20 minutes. Now, it could rightly be described, as you'll see, as a love story, a beautiful love story, which does raise the question for people, what's it doing in the Bible? What, what is Ruth doing in the Scriptures? Now, if that's because you are surprised that there's beauty in the Bible, then wow, you need to read Ruth. You need to read, read Song of Songs. You need to read the Psalms. The Bible has so much beauty, which is fitting because God owns all the beauty. Anything that is good and beautiful comes from our Creator. And so if you think the Bible is just some kind of cold spiritual truths dropped out of heaven... No, 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 you need to read the book of Ruth. But it is more than just a feel-good story to be enjoyed. It is a word from our God that we might worship him. We'll find the teaching about God is more subtle in the book of Ruth than we're used to in other books. But it's there and it's intended to grow our faith in him, to stir our affections for him and to lift our gaze to the goodness and importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I trust that you'll see why that is the case over the coming weeks as we move through Ruth. Today, though, my job is to set the scene for the account of Ruth. Because it's not just a beautiful love story that's randomly dropped into the Bible. It's one that is set in history. And most importantly, in the movement of God to bring great blessing to his world. And the very lovely story of Ruth has a very dark backdrop. The backdrop of Judges. See, Ruth begins with the words, In the days when the judges ruled... There was a famine in the land. Now, the famine was bad, but the darker backdrop there, it's the days of the judges. 
This actually locates the book of Ruth in a moment in history. Again, if you're new to the Bible, this is not just kind of spiritual sayings. This is grounded in history. I've got a little timeline here to locate us. See, you move back to Abraham. Abraham is a man that God had promised to bring great blessing to a broken world through. And from Abraham, we have the nation of Israel descended. They become a people, a nation. Problem is, they're actually enslaved under Pharaoh down in Egypt. They cry out to the Lord who comes to bring miraculous relief and liberation for them. He releases them from Egypt under the, uh, the rule of Moses. Moses brings them out of Egypt and onto the verge of the promised land, the land of Canaan that God is going to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey where they can enjoy being in his presence, in his place. But about five minutes after the exodus, the nation of Israel have repeated the sin of their first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelling against God. And so God rightly brings a judgment on them and says, you will wander in the desert for 40 years until this generation dies out. And so it's not until Joshua and the next generation that the people of Israel actually enter into the promised land of Canaan or Palestine. But once Joshua dies... There's a leadership vacuum. And we enter a number of centuries called the days of the judges. And it's in this period that Ruth is set. And to help us better appreciate that setting, we're going to take a fly over the book of Judges, making some connections to Ruth and to ourselves as we go. So, if you've got your Bible there, turn back open to Judges. It's the book just before Ruth. And I'll take us through the whole book in four points. Here's the first one. It's the point of cycle and spiral. Now, speaking of wonderful artwork to go along with our series, we really are blessed to have people uh, with these gifts. Here is the artwork from our Judges series that we did back in 2013. And I show it to you because it helpfully captures the message of the book. It captures a nation, the people of God no less, not just cycling through the pattern of sin, judgment, repentance, salvation, but spiraling deeper into a dark hole so that the book actually ends without repentance and without salvation. Let me give you a sense of it. Chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1 in Judges starts to list the lands that the people of, nation, of Israel come into and take. This is as the Lord had instructed them. But here we find the first sign of trouble. They don't actually drive out all the nations and take the land as they've been instructed. So, chapter 2, verse 1, look there with me. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet, you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? 
And I've also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. Now, what we have here is the nation of Israel living in the land, and instead of living in it on their own, they're actually mingled with the nations who become a great trap and snare for them. One of the nations is the nation of Moab. Moab inflict massive grief on Israel, which is just a significant point to note in the historical context, given who Ruth is. When we come to Ruth, we're going to find that she brings great blessing to Israel, and she's a Moabitess. It's amazing. Come to chapter 2, verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors... Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Wow. Just may that never be true of us. That we be a one generation ministry. What we see here is just how quickly and tragically the next generation can turn away from the Lord. May that never be us. God has been so gracious to us over the last 20 odd years. We are now seeing another generation coming up. May it be another one and another one by God's grace. Chapter 2 in Judges actually functions as a summary of the whole book. Verse 16, in response to the people's self-inflicted misery, the Lord graciously raises up judges to save them. Now, judges aren't the courtroom officials that we might be thinking. They're more like temporary tribal leaders, and we'll come back to them later. So the Lord would raise up a judge, verse 16, to save the nation. Verse 19, but when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. There's a summary of the book of Judges. This cycle and spiral. Chapters 3 through to 16 takes us through that cycle under 12 judges that are raised up to do that very thing, to bring relief Though the people then, after they die, return to their sin even greater. Then chapters 17 through to 21, the end of the book, take us beyond the cycle into the spiral to show us the spiritual and moral disintegration that comes to this nation, the people of God, where we see idolatry, theft, abduction, rape, sodomy, murder, prostitution, child sacrifice, civil war, and more. Now, I'll save us from looking closely at the details. Uh, in fact, uh, I've been exhausted this week as I've spent time in the book of Judges, and I think that's the point of the book. You're supposed to be exhausted. And you can be thankful that this is just going to be a quick fly over rather than a slow hike. And those of you who are with us in 2013 will remember how thick that hike is. But let's not miss a massively important and timeless truth being taught here. And it's this. 
Humanity is lost on its own. You, me, us are without hope on our own. And I realise that is one of the most offensive things to say in our day. But the Bible is saying that our hope of a world right side up will not be found within. There is no new leaf that we can turn over. I've been reading a bunch of stuff this week on the book of Ruth, uh, reading a bunch of commentators. And I read one who was trying to make sense of the way that the book of Judges ends, deep, dark depravity among the people of Israel, and the book of Ruth, which is quite the contrast. And particularly for one of the main characters, Boaz, who, who sparkles. It seems like there's, he can do no wrong. And this commentator was trying to make sense of, well, how do we get from the scene of Judges to the scene of Ruth? And she says this, her conclusion, The Israelites transformed themselves to be a society that learns to look beyond surface appearances and to recognise virtue from within. No. No, 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 no. That is not what happens. I mean, that diagnosis, that conclusion is classic of our constant desire to dethrone God, to bump him off the throne, to put ourselves on it, to put humanity at the centre of the universe. In fact, our modern diagnosis of the problems that ancient Israel faced in the time of the judges would probably be the sin of intolerance, of bigotry. They come into a land, if only they had learnt to kind of assimilate and to accept the different points of view. Well, the irony is that's exactly what they did. They embraced the nations and spiralled into decay. Now, just a quick point on that. We're dealing with very, a very different period of history when we look at the book of Judges to our own. That is, the people of God in the time of the judges in the old covenant, were to be a nation under God, ruled under God. Uh, that they, they were to be holy, which is why they weren't to assimilate. Now, for us, the people of God in Christ today, it's through Christ that we are connected to God. And we are in the world, we're not to be of the world, but there's nothing in the New Testament about driving people out. We're dealing with a very different period of history. Yet, the same human nature remains. Here's the thing. Christianity does not offer the hope of self-affirmation. If you're looking for the religion, the philosophy that says you are beautiful and wonderful as you are, you don't need to change a thing, Christianity won't be for you. Not in the way that our culture understands self-affirmation anyway. See, the, the Bible holds this strange tension in how it views humans. On the one hand, humanity is made in the image of God, to, to image our great God. And therefore, just by being human, there is great worth and dignity and value in being human, regardless of race, 
regardless of gender, regardless of your abilities, just to be human. There is great good in being human. Humans are capable of creating great good as we image God. Art in all its forms, science, technology in all its forms, roads, medicines. Humanity is able to create great good. Yet, on the other hand, this same human has a dark side. The ability and willingness to create evil. Greed, deceit, violence and many more. And the thing is, this, this darkness is bound up so tightly with the human nature that no matter our time in history, no matter the industrial or technological or political advancement, humanity cannot and will not provide the great world that we long for on our own. The hope of Christianity is not self-affirmation, but rather God-affirmation. The beauty and wonder of Christianity is that God affirms us, not for who we are, but actually in spite of who we are, through his son Jesus. Judges is a confronting account of the stubborn, perpetual nature of human sin and our inability to rise above it. The desperation and frustration that we will always experience as we we long for the world that we know must exist, and if only we did this, we'd get that. It's not within the reach of humanity to do it on its own. There's the first point that Judges brings us, the cycle and spiral of human sin that our hope needs to come from without. It won't come from within. Here's the second point that we see in the book that I want to raise for us as it connects to Ruth especially, is the importance of good leadership. There's a refrain that echoes across chapters 17 and 21, and it goes like this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. In fact, they are the very last words of the book. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Now, if human nature was basically good, then that would lead to a beautiful society, wouldn't it? As we do as we see fit, bound up with the good in ourselves. The thing is, we're not. And so that that refrain and that last line is to actually point out what a mess society is as humans go about doing as they see fit. One of the lessons of judges is to show us the importance of good leadership and that without it, families, communities, societies will at best be unstable, at worst descend into chaos. And this instability without leadership, plays out in a number of ways in Judges, one of them being that the vulnerable become even more vulnerable. The vulnerable are even more vulnerable. Why? Well, because there's no rule and order brought to bear on a society to see that the vulnerable are cared for. 
Again, if we were basically good as humans, you wouldn't need that. Evidence shows otherwise. Now, I raise this because it provides some background to an issue that will come across in Ruth that will likely at least catch our attention and quite possibly for many bristle us. And it's this issue, it's the issue of Naomi and Ruth, the two key women in the story, needing a man for their welfare, being lost without a man. This may well be very offensive to our modern ears. What, what are you saying? It goes against every Disney movie that's been made for at least the last 10 years. A woman needing a man? Now, we'll come to the issue in more detail in the text in the coming weeks, right? But for now, just note that even though God had provided laws to protect the vulnerable in the law of Moses, without good leadership to see that it's applied within a society, it's neglected, it's the powerful who rule, and it's the vulnerable who become even more vulnerable. Much of the security and opportunities that we enjoy today trade on a long heritage of leadership that's been concerned for the vulnerable. Aware that sinful human nature won't just naturally drift towards caring for the weak as a society. I mean, panic buying. Have you seen it? I mean, it's, it's stupid, isn't it? Uh, my local Coles, the toilet paper aisle is, you know, stripped bare. Um, why is it that when you go to buy toilet paper, if you can get it, you're only allowed to buy one pack? Well, it's to protect, to care for the vulnerable. This is one of the infuriating parts of it, isn't it? That it's actually the people who only live kind of day to day, week to week, who can't stockpile, who are the ones who go without, whilst those who can just kind of hoard it. And so someone in leadership at Coles says, no, no, you'll only have one pack. That's an example, just one example of leadership acting in a way to protect the vulnerable. Now, more on that in the coming weeks. But Judges teaches us the importance of good leadership. Here's the third heading, lesson, that we see in the book of Judges. And it's testing trials. The Bible is an invitation. I mean, it's many things, but one way you could describe it, it's an invitation to know God's blessing. To know his favour on you, his kindness on you, his protection for you. But often, this blessing comes through the experience of trials. Now, for the Israelites living in the days of the judges, for them, entering the promised land was supposed to be part of the blessing that they would experience. In fact, part of what God had promised Abraham, land, God's people to be in God's place under his good rule. But instead, because of their disobedience, they instead know the trial of surrounding nations trying to destroy them. Now, why are they experiencing this trial? Well, because of their disobedience. Now, in some sense, there are 
you know, some innocent bound up in that, you know, the children of the Israelites. This is not their own doing, though they're suffering the consequences of it. Uh, but on one hand, Israel is suffering the trial because of their own making. On another hand, they're suffering this trial because it's got God's design and purpose on it. This is where careful readers of the Bible will often see these two things going on at once. A very real human intent and consequence, as well as God's sovereign work in it all for good. God, we find here, actually has a purpose of testing the seriousness of Israel's faith through their trial. Have a look at verse 21, chapter 2, verse 21. The Lord says, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. Chapter 3 then goes on to list some of the nations that are left around Israel. Verse 4, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. Do you see what's happening here? There's an important lesson for us here, and again, one that is timeless. When a trial comes along in your life, don't miss the opportunity it is for you to pay particular attention to your spiritual health. That is, when a trial comes along, don't miss the opportunity to pay attention to God. Now, some of you are experiencing very particular and pressing trials at the moment. We've mentioned a couple already this morning, and there are many more out there, I know. And we want you to know that we love you, we pray for you, we as a church want to do all that we can for you. But let me touch on one particular trial that most of us are experiencing lockdown. Well, in fact, all of us on the coast are experiencing lockdown. The thing is, it's just not as much of a trial for some as others. See, for some of you, you're loving life, if you're honest. If you're honest, you're loving that you are engaging with something of church in your lounge room right now. Uh, you're loving the excuse not to see people through the week. Maybe you're the introverted type. And as long as, you know, Bunnings stays open and Netflix stays streaming and there's sports somewhere in the world, you're a happy camper, right? You kind of hope that lockdown doesn't finish. But others of you are not laughing. You are feeling the sting of isolation, loneliness, disappointment, you know, missed holidays, missed family reunions. Some of you, particularly from here on, may be experiencing the loss of work and income. And then there's the parents who are doing the home learning thing, right? And I think this is a particular group of people facing a trial right now, you know. You're trying to get your own work done, you're trying to do 
the home learning thing, you're trying to remember year five maths, like what is that? And you do love your kids, but you kind of think, you know, the idea of an underground bunker right now, that'd be pretty good. With spiritual eyes, see this trial of lockdown as something God is using to test us. To test us. You think, to test us, would, would God do that? Well, the New Testament uses the same language. Jesus uses the language of testing in his parable with the seed and the soils. You remember the, the, the farmer who throws out the seed and it lands in a bunch of different places? The seed that lands on rocky ground grows up quickly, springs up, but falls away during a time of testing, Jesus tells us. Hardship, trials. James chapter 1, Romans chapter 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, speak of our faith being tested by a good, loving, heavenly Father. The other language that the New Testament will use, slightly different to testing, is discipline. Have a look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. It'll come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible or can't get there quickly where we read that we are to endure hardships as discipline. Now, this is written to Christians, to people who have their faith in Jesus. Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Skip forward a bit. God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And many of you are going, uh-huh, <laughs> amen. Later on, however, later on, catch that, later on, not right here and right now in this moment, but later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And some of you are thinking, oh man, the trials are so hard, man. That, would, that, that better be a massive harvest. Yes, it will. By faith, by God's grace. How might knowing this, being reminded of this, change your attitude and action with the trial of lockdown? I've been reflecting on this this week and thinking, I need... I need to let it serve as a mirror of my faithfulness. You know, it's kind of that the frustrations kick in and everything changes. And it's, Let it serve as a mirror of my faithfulness. Because it's one thing for me to profess my love and commitment to the Lord when life is pretty good, when the sun is shining. It's another thing and surely a truer reflection of what's really going on when the clouds come in, when hardship and trials strike. Will I continue to keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as my Christian ancestors have? What responsibility am I going to take for my spiritual health without all the usual rhythms of church life? What responsibility am I going to take for those around me 
But for me, it's my family, my wife, my kids. What is it for you? Let your trials drive you to God, not from him. You know, there's that saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Christianity says, when the going gets tough, the trusting keep trusting. Let the trial actually be a mirror for where you are at with the Lord. And here's another thing that the book of Judges and trials causes us to think about. What will you be like? What will I be like on the other side of the trial? See, take lockdown. It will end. Though it feels like it may not, it will. Even the COVID thing in the way that we're experiencing will end. Borders will open up. Much of life will go back to what we know it. When we come into greater comfort, will it lead to greater care before the Lord or greater complacency? See, in the judges, Israel, they're being tested under trial. They cry out to God. He comes, he brings relief, and they turn their backs on him. I wonder if even kind of lockdown version two has caused us to think about things. Remember lockdown one and maybe things we're crying out to God for and, and then he brought relief. Did we continue to pay the same kind of attention to God in that as we are maybe now? Will we learn from Israel in the time of Judges and remain dependent and humble on God by his strength? There's the third thing we see that trials are used by the Lord to test, to discipline us toward a harvest of righteousness and peace. Here's the fourth and final thing I'll bring to our attention back in Judges. And it's, it's the most obvious message that the book screams out. In fact, the very last line does this for us. It's our need for the king. See, God provides judges, you know, t- kind of temporary tribal leaders, but gee, they're an unlikely messed up bunch. Uh, I won't take you through them all, but they could be summed up like this. A reluctant farmer, a prophetess, a left-handed assassin, a bastard bandit, a sex-addicted Nazarite, and more. You know, th- these judges, they're, they're pretty messed up, some of them. And yet God graciously chooses to work through them to bring relief to his people. Now, there's hope for us in that. You know, God uses the unlikely and the imperfect to achieve his plans. But, but it's more than that. The judges are proof that we need something, that we need someone greater. See, the salvation that God brought through the judges was regional and temporary. It was regional. Um, No one judge ruled over the whole nation of Israel. Rather, they were just operating among their tribe around the land. In fact, it seems that there are multiple judges operating at the same time. These judges didn't unite the people of God. They're kind of like the Australian state premiers right now. You know, definitely not uniting the people of Australia. In fact, state premiers, who even paid attention to them before COVID, right? 
The judges were regional and their effect was temporary because after the judge died, everything went back to slop. By the book ending with these words, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. We're left awaiting a hope of a king who would bring God's blessing to all of God's people across all of time. One that would bring hope, not just for his moment, but beyond it. And this is a key reason why Ruth is in the Bible. Because as we'll see, through her comes King David. And from King David comes King Jesus. Not just any king, but the king. The king of kings and lord of lords. The eternal son of God who stepped off his heavenly throne to enter into the mess of humanity to live among it to experience it but unlike the rest of humanity to fight against the temptation to sin so that he might go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice as a perfect substitute one who has done who has lived the life that we ought to have lived on our behalf and in his death to to swallow God's righteous judgment on human sin. And more than that, to be raised to life, victorious, conquering death, never to die again and to offer the exact same hope for those who would trust him, who would find themselves bound up with him by looking away from ourselves, the hope is not within, but to him, God's saviour. This Jesus is the one who could say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all nations, not just of particular tribes, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here is the king who brings salvation to all nations, across all time. Judges sets us up for that. Ruth comes and slots in God's movement to bring us to that. It confronts us, the book of Judges, this moment in history with the cycle and spiral of human sin. Our desperate need for a saver from without. Ruth will fit into God's provision of this. Judges shows us the need for good leadership, particularly to protect the vulnerable. We'll see evidence of that in Ruth. Judges calls us to embrace trials as the testing of our faith from a good father who uses even messed up situations for our good, the harvest of righteousness and peace. And Judges points us to Jesus, his good kingship that is our only hope. He lives. He lives. The tomb is empty. He is with us by his spirit. We have him in his word. And therefore there is no time, as testing as it might be, where we ought to despair.
because our God rules. Our God has sent us the king that we need. And moving through Ruth will be a fantastic time for us to see this God at work, particularly behind the scenes, to bring us to this point. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we, we thank you for this word that you have had written that faithfully reflects what has happened in history that you have had preserved all the way down through the ages so that it might say what it said originally and so that we might see how you have been at work across history. How amazing then, Father, that we can call upon you as your children in this moment of time, we belong to the God who has ruled over all these generations, over all of your people. Might just that fact be a great comfort for us in our trials? We belong to the God of the ages. We belong to the God who has led his people through trial after trial into a harvest of righteousness and peace and ultimately into your presence. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the way that judges shows us our need for him, our saviour. Please, might it be the case that we cling to him, that we rest in him, that we know very real peace in him. I want to pray particularly for those who are hurting and facing very challenging trials. Lord, might you, might you grab their hand as they feel weak, might you, by your spirit, minister to them and might we, your people, as disconnected as we are, be able to figure out ways to encourage each other and spur each other on through this time. We ask, please, Lord, for your mercy. Please, might this lockdown lift soon. Please, might the virus come back under control. But please, through this, might we trust that you have a good design and purpose that the gospel might continue to go out, that your people might continue to grow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How great is our God.